0: RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Rap Game Podcast. I am your host, Raymond Parcher III, better known as RP3. And boy, do we have a treat for you today. So any headbanger out there, you're going to enjoy this episode because it's all about heavy metal. It's all about metal. When I fell in love with metal music, how many concerts I've gone to, who have I seen live, who do I love, will I freely admit? to loving the new metal movement of the late 90s, early 2000s, you'll have to stay tuned for that. But joining me on this metal version of the Rap Game Podcast is one of my best friends, a man who shares the same birthday as I, which just so happens to be on September 13th, and he has a love for metal, but we don't necessarily love the same acts, which is going to make this episode absolutely amazing. It's my best friend, the one and only Mike Doyle. Brother, how have you been, man? I am
0: doing fantastic. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, Did you ever think when we first became friends that one day we'd be doing a podcast about metal music? Uh, When we first
0: became friends, podcast did not exist, so (laughs) no. Um, This is a conversation that we've probably had several times, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. I am apparently your most metal friend after all. So,
1: yes, you are. Yes, you are. Interesting. That's that's right. Look, you you don't have to be all tatted up and wear black all the time and have long hair to be metal, as you have proven to me over and over again for the better part of 20 years, my friend.
0: Oh, yes, definitely not. I'm the corniest looking white dude, (laughs) non tattooed, non earring, non extreme looking person you've ever met. But,
1: yes, yes. Yes, and back you, in the so. you know, well, back in the day, man, when we start, first started hanging out, you know, you're, you're just wearing the gray shirt and everything like that, and I'm out there with my long hair and my earrings, rocking Slipknot t-shirts at work, nonetheless. well, turn well, Have never been the most well-dressed people. <laughs> no, no, you're 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 not wrong there. All right, man. Like, look, uh, for me, I grew up with. Not necessarily heavy metal, but I grew up with the godfathers of heavy metal. And that, of course, would be Led Zeppelin, um, you know, also Black Sabbath, ACDC. Those are the acts there in the 70s that kind of really kind of paved the way for what would come afterwards. I know Black Sabbath, uh, everyone points to Paranoid in in 1970 as being kind of the – the, the album, the godfather of, of metal music. Others would say Led Zeppelin's uh, 3. Led Zeppelin 3 would, would be that as well. Um, but And then I guess what Rainbow would be another one that would have came out in the 70s that really kind of got the ball rolling for the metal uh, movement. But, but for you, when did you first experience, maybe, maybe it was that 70s hard rock that we look back now and just say is hard rock, at one time, was considered metal music. When was kind of your first uh, experience with hard rock metal?
0: Um, well, those things you meant, those bands you mentioned, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, ACDC, um, Deep Purple, which you didn't mention, I think uh, that was always kind of around. Um, I remember as a, uh, oh, it couldn't have been more than seven or eight, a uh, eight-track of Deep Purple, uh, I think it was called Talisman, um, and that was kind of like where, where a lot of that stepped into, where I stepped into a lot of that stuff. Um, as far as like when I really, it all starts with Metallica. I guess. Yep. That's what it probably does for a lot of people. Um, I was, in, I vividly remember I was in fourth grade and, and Justice for All had just came out. And sitting with a circle of kids on the playground, and you had to pick, were you team Motley Crue, or were you team Metallica? And like, you know, we were kids. Um, none of us had actually heard any of this stuff, but it was like you had to pick ones. But, you know, the older kids were doing that, too. And it was like, the forbidden things, like, can we get a hold of this, you know, this music that everybody, all the older kids are talking about? So... Uh, that was kind of, I guess, my first real uh adventures into listening to something more than you know, Fisher Price record player type <laughs> stuff.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think for our generation, and we're we're over the age of forty now, so Metallica is kind of the benchmark for us, right? That's when really they broke through, and we're we're, we're talking way before. You know, the, the, self, uh, the self-titled al- al- album, better known as the Black Album in 91, where they kind of broke through through the mainstream into MTV and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, Ride the Lightning, Justice for All, um, you know, those were, were dangerous. I mean, look, I'm like you, I mean, grew up with Led Zeppelin, grew up with ACDC, and in the early to mid-80s, you know, with the exception of maybe what Judas Priest, I mean, uh, what uh, uh, British Steel came out with like eighty eighty one, and they were really kind of the face of, of metal. They were kind of the face of dangerous metal. Remember people were protesting against them because it's Judas Priest and uh, sidebar, by the way, they put on a tremendous show. I saw them live years ago is you, you had them. And then the, the weird thing that happened before Metallica really kind of took the genre by storm was you had all the uh, L.A. Strip metal bands, and you had what they would uh, later known as hair metal. So I want to start there. Do you consider those bands, like Motley Crue that you already mentioned, like any of the L.A. Strip bands that would later come after them, the hair metal bands, or even before then, Twisted Sister was out. Uh, Are they metal? Is Quiet Riot and Twister Sister and and Molly Crew are they metal?
0: Uh, To me, no. Um, I know that's what they were labeled back then. And sometimes I think the definition of what is metal um, changes with time. Um, So, uh, uh, you know, at some point early in their career, uh, Van Halen was considered heavy metal. Well, looking back, you would not. I mean, you know, you've heard Van Halen songs. You know, that's not. That's not what we would call heavy necessarily today.
1: Def Leppard was another changes. one. Remember, Def Leppard was considered yeah, metal Leopard, for a while. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think when you look at all those those bands, you know, Van Halen was the one that kind of turned everything. And they were the ones out there with the the long feathered blonde hair and the leather pants, and, and they kind of changed the scene a little bit. But I still think that's Today, looking back, uh, I, I think
1: that's just what you would call you know, hard rock, maybe. The other big band in the 80s that developed along with Metallica, and I want to give them credit, is, of course, Iron Maiden. Because Iron
0: Maiden, yes.
1: Incredibly it, influential. Hu- hugely influential. Uh, we, we forget about them a little bit here stateside, because obviously they're uh, from Britain, but Iron Maiden is hugely influential. That was the first time that I really paid attention to what would still be considered today heavy metal, Iron Maiden, Metallica, and Iron Maiden because of the, the the logo, because of the skeleton character that was identified. I mean, you knew you could see a metal guy from a mile away, Mike, when you saw them wear an Iron Maiden T-shirt, tour T-shirt, or they had the Iron Maiden patch on their denim cut off with, you know, Absolutely. scissors at home, denim jacket. That was always kind of like the calling card. And that's what I remember from the 80s. It was Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and Metallica. And those were like the, the three. And Metallica obviously broke through a little bit in the mid-80s, a little bit more so. But those were the the big ones, and those were the dangerous ones, right? Those were the ones that were just like, oh, if if you listened to them, you were doing something dark, and you were doing something, you know, possibly illegal, was listening to oh, yeah. those guys.
0: Yeah. You know, the 80s, Satan was around every corner. You know, there were devil (laughs) worshippers everywhere. So the adults wanted us to think. Um, Yeah, uh, Jews, priest, definitely Iron Maiden, for sure. Um, I think Iron Maiden, to me, resonated a little more. They were just a little more uh, progressive. They were a little more serious, philosophical, whatever you want to call it. They have, and we'll probably talk about this a little more later, they have had, such a huge influence. Um, even if you're looking at like some of the uh, the bands, the scenes from the what they call the uh, the new wave of American heavy metal. I think uh, movement that started like early 2000s with uh, Killswitch Engage and, and Lamb of God and all those like American metalcore bands from like the Boston area, the East Coast. Um, hugely influential bands. I love Judas Priest, too, but Iron Maiden is the one that really scratched a certain itch for me, in addition to Metallica.
1: First Metallica album that you obsessed about was what?
0: Um, like I said, uh, fourth grade. I was in fourth grade when Injustice for All came out, so that was probably it. But I remember I had a cassette.
1: That would have been afterwards. 88, so yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, 88, 89. Um... I had a cassette with Master of Puppets on one side and Injustice for All on the other side.
1: And, oh, old school you know, cassette T.D.K. Wasn't long cassette tape. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because the cassette wasn't quite long enough, it would cut off like the last two songs of each album. But it's what I had.
1: <laughs> you and I had too. my
0: Walkman, and I didn't want my parents to know what I was listening to. So I hid that away, and I just wore that out on both sides. Probably, probably Master of Puppets... Uh, stuck with me a little more just because, I don't know, it sounded better. Um, and Justice for All is kind of a weird record for me. It's a great record, but it just sounds awful. It's just like cold, bumpy, sterile sound, and it doesn't really... It's a great album musically, like, in terms of the construction of it, the lyrics. Oh, yeah, the pr- but, but, but the production but the was,
1: was, was so awful. bad on that. It was so bad. Yeah, I mean, looking back awful. now... In hearing it, you're just like, oh,
0: really? Yeah, yeah. You wonder what they were, what they were thinking with that. It's kind of
1: strange. I also remember I had a friend of mine. I was living. I remember living in uh, the Baton Rouge area, and this would have been like uh, 1990, 91, 92. So, Black Album releases and it becomes an absolute juggernaut it just takes over mtv it takes over radio there's no escaping metallica at that point point. and i remember a friend of mine brandon he had an older brother and he his older brother was a diehard metallica fan and he hated he hated the fact that Metallica b- was becoming popular. Like he hated the fact that inner Sandman was being played nonstop on MTV. And he hated the fact that all these people were now coming to, to, to flock to Metallica, but it, it just naturally happened. It's not as if they decided to go into the studio and make a record that would be, would become popular among the top 40 audience. It just happened that way. And they naturally progressed that way. And look, I know the old school Metallica fans want to bag on the Black Album, but the Black Album is phenomenal. If you just can, you know, step away from the fact that it put Metallica into the stratosphere in pop culture, and just listen to it. It's a great record. Now, is it Master of Puppets? No. What is? To be fair, but man, it's a really, really good record.
0: Absolutely, it is, and uh, uh, in a way, I agree with your friend a little bit there in terms of I, I i don't want to use that word sellout um because i'm not like regretting dudes trying to make money for their music at all but when you look at injustice for all it's progressive it's thrash it's high-minded and philosophical and it's talking about social justice and all these things and then when you get to uh To to the Black album, suddenly the songs are four minutes long, they're radio-friendly. The lyrics aren't maybe as uh, hard hitting or or controversial in some cases. And, I mean, I just think they were trying to reinvent themselves in a way um, to to become a little more, you know, I hate that word, radio-friendly, but... uh, I think they were just trying to reach a broader audience, and uh, that was They were trying to
1: get past being, I, I hate to say it this way, look, Slayer put out great records, and Slayer is known as a legendary metal band. Exactly. Yes, but exactly. unless you're into, me- you know what I'm saying, like th- that was the difference. The the Black Album made Metallica into a global icon, and there, there, there's a lot of good that comes with that. The record sales, the touring, and the money that you make off of touring. But it would take Metallica, what, 15 years before they made another record, even on the same level as the Black Album? Because the Black Album did lead them down a rabbit hole. And it, when they were recording it, maybe they were thinking, hey, we need to do this, and we're going to polish it up a little bit. But the stuff that came afterwards for a good part of the decade, you are like, ooh. Woof, woof. And I think that's had a lasting impact on the Black Album as well. For a lot of Metallica fans that go, you know, that was the album that made them go down a dark road of kind of just not great, kind of lazy effort, half-ass albums that were just filled with indulgence and just, you know, more focused on making videos for like Load and Reload than they were making great albums.
0: Oh, Yeah. Um, and another part of that is they went from, they were kind of uh, they were independent. They were doing things on their own. You know, they had their own studio. They were recording things with like, and you, you know, using childhood family friends as like sound engineers and stuff. And then, you know, Bob Rock got involved with them on uh, was Electra, I think was the label at the time, after they left Metal, uh, Metal Blade. And uh, yeah, it just It was a different vibe. It was more polished and commercial. And um, as far as those later albums, you know, those were, I still enjoy those to a certain extent. Um, I don't want to, like, sit here and just bash those albums all day long. Although, uh, what was the one that was really terrible? I'm having a hard time remembering. Saint Anger. Oh, that was awful. Oh, that was terrible.
1: But, uh, I mean, load and reload could have been in, L- load and reload right. could have been one good album if they would have just stripped yeah. it down the two of them and just merged them into exactly. one. But they really didn't find their mojo again, what until what two thousand eight when they uh, Death Magnetic finally came out, and you were like, yeah, hey, yeah. there's Metallica. Like th- th- that was yep. the thing. It was like, oh, there's Metallica. They're back. That's how it felt when you listened to that um, r- record. But here's the other thing. Once you look any great band regardless of genre once you have that monster album man it's hard to get back to that hunger to get back to that mentality of being on the road 340 days out of the year in a broken down ass bus just you know playing to 150 to 200 people in clubs like like it, the, the hunger that got you to get to that point it's hard to reclaim that man and plus we saw how dysfunctional metallica was with, uh, what was it, some kind of monster, the documentary, where just Lars spent all the time crying, essentially, and they were just so just petty. And But my favorite part of that documentary was when they got their new bassist, and he wanted to come in, and, they, they man, they had all those guys, the bassist for Marilyn Manson, all these guys come in to try out for them to be their new bassist after Newstead left the band, and the guy they pick, who was just Ozzy's bassist, comes in, they're like, well, hey, what do you want to play? And he's like, I want to play battery. And you're yeah, like, yeah. whoa. You're like, this is a different cat. Like, this is a guy who wants to help them go back to just being able just to thrash on stage.
0: Yeah, that uh, Robert Cujillo, Ch- I've I, I read it, but I've never heard it pronounced, but that man can play bass. Uh, no disrespect to Jason Newstead, who is a good player. And a part of that band for a long time, but he is, he is a great bass player Like he takes them up another level. I don't know if you've seen any of their, like they have a whole channel of YouTube of like live performance, but they are, I mean, they're killing it. Uh, and it's like they're in their prime almost. And those guys are 50, 55 years old, 60 maybe even. It's, it's really uh, incredible to see how they kind of come around full circle.
1: Yeah, and he he had been uh, he had been basis for Ozzy and suicidal tendencies, infectious grooves, and in, in others. And I mean, you know, he, he came in and killed. That was one of my favorite moments of that. And he was uh, he was still fairly uh, fairly young, but the fact that he decided to go back and go old school with what he wanted to do, and not you know a Bob Rock song, was absolutely phenomenal yeah. to me.
0: Yeah, something that says a lot to me about him and, like, how he's regarded is uh they did a movie, sort of a, a half-documentary, half-fiction movie. It was like a concert film, but it had, like, fantasy elements mixed up. Uh, what was that called? Through the Never, I think. And it was the first time they performed Orion, the instrumental on the, on the side B from uh, Master of Puppets. It was the first time they performed Orion live in, like, 20 years, and somebody asked uh, uh, James Hetfield, I think, about it, and he was like, well, we didn't feel like we could play it before and do it justice, because it's got all these crazy bass solos, and he, if you're listening, you, you think you're hearing guitar or keyboard or something, this bass just played up on really high notes, and it's really intricate, and, uh, and that was like, okay, yeah, this guy's like the real deal. Like, you can't replace uh, Cliff Burton, who died in that, bus crash um but yeah if you can play a orion you're you're doing something right
1: they were kings of music kings of rock kings of hard rock kings of metal at the time that the seattle sound which people labeled grunge back in the day became mainstream nirvana broke through mm-hmm. which nirvana was always more punk influenced pearl jam was always more classic rock and roots influenced when you listen to their music But two bands that came out of that era that are sometimes lumped into being metal acts is Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Do you view them as hard rock acts or do you view them as metal acts? Because a lot of people, they're one of those bands when you look at lists of greatest metal artists or greatest metal albums of all time, there's always an Alice in Chains, usually Dirt is on there, and then Soundgarden. They're they're both represented and you, when you hear them, you hear a lot of metal influence, obviously.
0: Yeah, obviously. Um, I don't know that I would... A great transition, by the way, from uh, getting off, trying to get off topic of Metallica for a while. Um,
1: <laughs> well, you know, I am on the air three hours every uh, day.
0: <laughs> segway. That's what they call it, That's right? what they
1: call it, yes. That's what they call it, a segway. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily would consider either any of those bands from that scene metal, really. There was so much... Classic rock influence, and uh, you know, like '80s pop uh, to some extent, in in the way they kind of presented themselves. Um, I know that doesn't seem obvious, but I, I see a little bit of that in there too. Um, it's just it's hard to, to sit here and be like, "Oh, they are metal. They're not metal," because it, it's not. It almost sounds dismissive. Of them, but and there's so yeah, many
1: subgenres and sub subgenres of metal yeah, now. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I mean, it's absolutely could, ridiculous. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, we could sit here and list subgenres and microgenres <laughs> all day, <laughs> all it's
1: day, uh, all day long. Oh, uh, another band that was uh, relevant during this time in the late '80s, early '90s, when Metallica rose to prominence, and then the Seattle uh, movement kind of came to be. Uh, a band that kind of gets left out when we talk about just greatness. How about Faith No More, like it just—they were Faith always. No oh, they, they, I, I, that's why I brought them up because I know you love them. Uh, you love them more than I do. Uh, I always had an Im- uh, immense amount of respect for them. I just never obsessed about them. But they, n- now that we're here in, in 2020, looking back, Faith No More is kind of—I don't know—it's been is starting to be being forgotten a little bit, which is a, a little bit of a shame.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, if you're looking at, uh, I mean, if you're talking about, I want the most creative, uh, you know, off-the-wall, like, interesting, you know, just weird stuff out there, they're up on the list. And uh, Mike Patton, who in front of them, also uh, did Mr. Bungle, which is an even weirder, even more experimental um, outfit. And uh, they were just. They were kind of on the cutting edge of, they did the rap rock thing with, uh, uh, the big song, Epic. Yeah. And, uh, that was kind of not the first, but one of the first, uh, uh, wide, you know, more popular, uh, songs that got some exposure that kind of blended those two styles. And I, I love Faith No More. I often, uh, make fun of people who listen to Red Hot Chili Peppers because I'm like, well, you, listen to Faith No More. The red eyed chili
1: peppers are a pale imitation of what Faith No More was doing. You You just said that. It reminded, me, no it reminded me of one time I saw uh, Henry Rollins talk about, uh, he made the same comparison, but he said, uh, you, you two wishes they could be the clash, right? So it's, it's one of those yeah, things. Exactly. Right. So uh, on there. So the, the the '90s hits and man, I'm not going to lie to you, but both both you and I came of age during the '90s. So this is going to be the real decade where I would assume the majority of the metal albums, our favorite artists and our favorite albums, came from the '90s and probably the early 2000s. And some some big ones really kind of came came through. You had Rage Against the Machine debut in '92, and that's an absolute absolute game changer. No oh, no one I was, is I was
0: just listening to that last night.
1: No one has ever sounded like them. And 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 it's oh. and and they are so distinctive and so so that drops in ninety two. That's uh, the Rage Against the Machine album in ninety two. Another thing that pops up in the nineties, and this began in the late eighties, but they 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 really broke through in the nineties, Pantera, which ended up being highly influential and and Daryl hey, Dimebag has is, is since passed. Um just just made anthems after Anthem, and, and Pantera was that great kind of band that people love. So you had them, you had Rage, and we'll get to the new metal later, but just the early to mid-'90s, Rage Against the Machine blows up. Pantera really kind of craw- uh, opens up a lot of doors for, for a lot of people. And then the other one is Tool. like you. And w- we've talked about uh, Maynard so much. You and I just, we, we've had discussions about his genius, whether that's with Tool, or whether that's with A Perfect Circle, or whether that's with projects that never came to be, Um, no one sounds like Tool, no one sounds like Maynard, no one sounds like Rage, and really no one sounded like Pantera, and all those bands came out, Pantera was a little bit earlier, but they really kind of remolded themselves, retransformed themselves in the early 90s so distinctive, I was listening to Pantera, I was listening to Rage, and I was listening to those guys just the other day, and it still holds up like 30 years later, man. Like, it's just crazy oh, to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was just listening to Rage Against the Machine, the debut album, self-titled album, uh, last night. I was like, wow, this sounds amazing. Like, it sounds brand new. And every time I listen to it, I was like, it just, it's like, wow, this is. This really, it does more than hold up. It's, it's even more relevant for obvious reasons. Um, with everything going on in the world right now, it's, it's even more relevant than it was then. And, uh, it just, it just, it's like it jumps out of the speakers at you. It's just this raw, heavy. And I mean, it's also incredibly melodic and, and musical and all that stuff.
1: Um, Tom Murillo. What and what what he does with the guitar and the structure because obviously he's the brainchild behind the structure and the sound of uh, what Rage Against the Machine was and then later obviously what Audio Slave was when uh, they teamed up the members uh, Sands the lead singer teamed up with Chris Cornell and Morello just he, he has that ear man he, he just has that ear of he puts together things that you, you when you. At, at first glance or when you first hear it you're like that shouldn't work and yet it does every single time yeah
0: yeah yeah it's incredible um and i love the disclaimer on i think it's on all their albums in the like the liner notes it's and it always says something like only guitar bass and drums and vocals are involved in the making no turntables like you'd swear there was some turntableism going on in there like some record scratches there's not it's just a guitar and he's fiddling with his uh, tone knobs and his volume knobs. And he's got his whammy pedal and all that stuff. And it just makes all kinds of crazy sounds. And, and yeah, that was definitely uh, a game changer. Uh, like, what is this? It's completely different from anything you'd ever heard before. And uh, I mean, going back, you were talking about um, like the Pearl Jam Sound Guard and, and those bands. Um, I think a big reason why that scene got off the ground the way it did was because it was like a return back to kind of serious music, um, and we all know what the late '80s were for music. It, things were kind of silly and got off the rails. And poison. The Seattle scene comes along and it's just like, no, it's poison. And yeah, yeah, and 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 I think. When you start talking about Tool and Rage Against the Machine and Pantera and, and all those bands, I, I don't think those bands exist without that Seattle thing coming in and just kind of wiping all of that nonsense away. and Being like, okay, we're going to get back to, here's some serious music. Not, you know, these guys singing about getting girls and limousines and motorcycles and all this. is fine, but, you know, people wanted something a little
1: more uh, there was a realness there was little an little authenticity there was a darkness yeah. to it and and that was the the other part of it that that really uh, that, that that really connected people to it that it was all of a sudden you just kind of gravitated towards you know and you, you think like pantera vulgar display of powers 1992 that's the same year rage drops its debut I mean, just, and Metallica's still riding high from the Black Album from 91 the the previous year because they they spent five years touring on that record. Tool comes out a little bit later. That was, what, 95, 96, when they really had their breakthrough. I
0: think Undertow came out in
1: 92. Undertow would have been maybe 92,
0: 93? Yeah, something like that. I'm not
1: going to lie. the The first time I heard Undertow, I didn't know what to make of it. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you because I was like, "Well, this is not what I'm accustomed to," which is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I know a lot of people are like, "Well, I don't, I don't like this. This is, you know, what what is this about?" But yeah, it was '93. Undertow uh, came out. It it took me by surprise, man. I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to kind of take it a, a little bit. I, I yeah. felt the same way. You and a lot of other people. Right. I I didn't, right. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I just was like, I wasn't, I I guess I wasn't expecting so much. Uh, There's a lot of uh, experimentation with what they do. And not a lot of people were really doing that. You know, it it was, it was different. And it took me a while to kind of get into it. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. And once I did, it was one of those things was like, it was one of those bands where people tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get into them, and if you give them the time, for me at least, I was like, wow, they're, what they're doing is amazing. I felt the same thing when I first started hearing Nine Inch Nails, which I know yeah, is a little yeah. bit more industrial, but I've always considered them metal uh, or yeah. you know, one of those metal hybrids, metal industrial hybrids. But the, the same thing with Nine Inch Nails. Everyone goes back, oh, yeah, I used to listen to Nine Inch Nails. No, you didn't. Now, there's a reason why we chart records in this country because we yeah. we know what album sales are and don't sit there and be like oh yeah I was down with the 9 inch nails no 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 it, that was another band like that and there's a lot of similarities there between uh, resner and and uh Maynard with their personality and and just how they approach their craft where it took you a little bit while but once you got in man, it it was over. It was just like, yes, I love this band. I can't wait to hear new music from them. That's how I kind of felt about Tool early on.
0: Totally different sound, but they were also dealing in some really uncomfortable subject matter, and I don't know, like, how much we want to get into, I don't know if it's a family podcast or whatever, but Some of their subject matter was very like, oh my god, I'm watching it. I'm watching this video on MTV. I'm I got my hands over my eyes and I'm watching through a crack in my fingers because this is kind of disturbing stuff. If you're really listening to the lyrics, some of it's really, really uncomfortable uh, subjects. And uh, and again, that was you know, people wanted to make serious music on serious topics and. And sometimes serious topics can be uncomfortable, and I think that had a lot to do with maybe people's, uh, people's need to to kind of let that band grow on them for a few
1: years. Physical abuse, emotional yeah. abuse, sexual abuse, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it kind of opened up the door and paved the way for a lot of other bands to come in after them and explore those kind of same topics. Uh, one of them being... Uh, Let's be honest, the kings of new metal, which was corn. And you and I differ on them. I loved them. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. And that's fine. We're having an honest conversation. I love them from Jump with the, the little kid on the swing set on their debut album. And they fully embr- uh, uh, embraced rap, which obviously I'm far more into than you are. Um, but Follow the Leader, which was like 98 it's it's and it was a big huge breakthrough record once again and a lot of corn fans were like well uh, i like uh, i like their earlier okay that's fine there's nothing wrong with a record being well produced you know what i'm saying there's nothing wrong with it not it sounding like it wasn't done in a, in a back alley restroom it's okay to record something with 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 good production uh, uh you know equipment um i, I loved it i I loved Korn so much. I saw him in concert. And I also took part. I was living in Mobile at the time in 1999. I was working at Toys R Us. And I had my long hair and my earrings. I was doing nothing but listening to metal at the time. And Korn had a contest for people to draw their next album cover. So me and a cat that I worked with. Who was a big time artist, we sketched out these ideas and I came up with all these, these great ideas and we bowled it down and we submitted it. Obviously, we didn't win because I probably wouldn't be I'd be, you know, not talking about it on this podcast. But, you know, that's how much I loved corn at that time. And I know you never liked them, you never dug them, and you're a huge anti-new metal guy as it is. So l- let's talk there what bothered you so much about New Metal? Was it the influence of the rap in it, or was it just, it seemed like a lot of Southern California clowns got famous real quick?
0: (laughs) You know, I'm not sure exactly, and it's not the rap part of it um, at all, because I I like rap and hip-hop music, and I'm obviously not as much as you do, but um, something about it just never clicked, and I'm not sure why. It's corn has a sound that just grates on my nerves and it's not it's not the songs or the lyrics it's just the way it sounds the production it it just sounds like kind of harsh to 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 me it i it's hard for me to describe it's like all symbols for me and like <laughs> c-y-m-b-a-l-s not s-y-m-b-o-l-s
1: yes yes I,
0: and i'm basically allergic to like high frequencies and it, it just it kind of drives me crazy and i think for especially for corn that was kind of something that's I, like this hurts my ears it makes my ears bleed i can't listen to it. <laughs> it, it it was never anything that i was like oh these guys are posers or you know i never necessarily felt that way it's just the sound i couldn't i couldn't get into it.
1: it it brings me up i'm not surprised at that because if i remember correctly brother you were a huge Dream Theater fan, right? Back in the day.
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That band hasn't aged very well, but uh, yeah. Um. I've always kind of been. I've always leaned um toward the more you know progressive um side of things.
1: The prog rock and, of metal you know, is is your wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, that's not. Saying that that's all I listen to because I like some you know basic three chord you know ACDC kind of stuff too. Um, something I was just thinking about though is a band that I was really into. Um, if you're talking about like the rap rock thing, a band I was really into was Fear Factory. Yeah, a lot of their a lot of their stuff was kind of a uh, in that mold, you know, like. Wrapped uh, verses and and big anthemic song, you know, melodic choruses, and that's kind of the corn formula. But for some reason, I enjoyed Fear Factory a lot more than Corn, and Fear Factory was also a lot earlier than Corn. So,
1: good or bad from your standpoint, because. (laughs) Corn breaks through in 98 99 and there's this huge influx of hard rock or metal acts that's a kind of direct response to the bad uh, the the band boy boy band era rather that had popped up in popular culture right it was all about pop singers and boy bands and MTV was this weird place in like the late 90s early 2000s where it was all the pop acts like Britney Spears and NSYNC and all those guys. And then on the, on the same episode of TRL with Carson Daly, there'd be Korn or Kid Rock or, you know, POD or Eminem would pop up, too. It was a crazy time. Yeah. Because it was the the, the total extremes. And you had MTV that was on board promoting these acts, and I don't know. I remember even at the time, kind of living through it and, and being a, a fan of a lot of those bands. I was like, "This is weird to me. Like, it just seems yeah. weird that th- this is kind of where music is right now." in, in time, where th- this is this is going on, and I know I know for a lot of metalheads, it turned off a lot of a lot of fans. Even though a lot of great bands did come out of that era in the late '90s, early 2000s. Deftones, Disturbed, or a couple of them that really come to mind. Macedon, who I know you're a diehard fan of, they all okay. came out right, and, and they all came out during that time. So the exposure that they got helped, but on the same hand, it, it kind of watered down the product because then you're just having any four piece, you know, coming out that's you know doing songs, and it just it seemed very. It got to the point very quickly it seemed very produced. Like, like, it seemed very much as if metal was, yeah, they were responding to what was going on with the boy bands, but it felt very much produced like a boy band producer, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and going back to what you were talking about with TRL, I remember vividly sitting in a friend's house and watching TRL, and it was like, 98 Degrees or the Backstreet Boys or something. And like the next song after that was Monster Magnet. I'm like, what is going on right now? This is the most, like, how do you go from that to that? It was just insane. But, um, yeah. (laughs) I think, um, one of the things that draws people to, you know, heavy metal bands or, you know, hardcore music or, or anything is a sense that it's genuine. That the artist, it's all kind of homemade. Um, that they're doing their own thing. They're not prepackaged, you know, by by a record company who's like polishing up everything and putting it out like it's a you know a combo meal at McDonald's. Um, people want something, I think, often that's you know self-produced and and, and, and it's got more of uh, you know what. What you see as, you know, this is the authentic quality of this group versus uh they came along with an idea. And some record producers said, no, let's do this. Instead. I'm
1: glad you bring that up yeah. because it brings me to the next band I want to talk about. Oh, A- boy, here we go. Oh, you know who I'm going to bring up. So I'm going to fully admit, and I don't care if I get I, I get hell for it. I loved Limp Bizkit's first album. <laughs> I did.
0: Yes,
1: Th- I knew it. $3 bills, y'all, I loved. <laughs> and I just, I, I loved. Because here's this guy, this band, by the way, Wes Borland, phenomenal, phenomenal oh, nice, musician. And I, I I, agreed later on with Matt Pinfield as like save him from Limp Biscuit. So $3 bills, y'all, no one knew about, right? There's these guys from Jacksonville, Florida, if I remember right. And he's just sitting there rapping and yelling about uh, basically bad relationships and a, a toxic relationship. And any guy in his early 20s that has one of those relationships that makes you, you know, dr- drink box wine on a Tuesday afternoon while listening to Radiohead can relate to. So th- <laughs> th- th- there was appeal and there was a absolute kind of, low-rent mentality to them, the way it sounded. It sounded like guys that were, you know, didn't have a big record deal, right? And I loved their first record, $3 $3 bills, y'all. Absolutely loved it. And then they blow up because of Faith, and then they get put into heavy rotation, and then comes their second album. And I go to buy it, and I'm listening to it, and I remember it to this day. I went to the Alexandria Mall and bought it. And I'm listening to it, because that's when they still had the Sam Goody in there, if you remember. Yeah. And I remember listening yeah. to it, and I'm going, this is the same record as the first one. It's just more polished, and Fred Durst now thinks he's a rapper. Like, I just remember yeah. telling one of my one of my friends at the time, you remember Killer B. You remember, Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, old times. And, I, and, and, yes, old times. And he loved it. He had the red Yankees ball cap. And I was like, dude, this is garbage. Like, this Nookie song is garbage. This is the same record. They made the same record as $3 bills, y'all. But it's more polished. It's more produced. And now Durst... Is, is no longer angry, and, and he's, he he thinks he's a rapper. I go, this is not good. He's like, dude, this is great. This is better than... And I was like, oh, my God. And I could just feel it. And then everyone loved the Nookie, and they went after it, and it's on TRL, and he's hanging out with Carson Daly, and I'm like, dude, you lost yourself. You made a good debut record. It wasn't great, okay? I loved it. It hit me at the right time. It wasn't great. There was some filler on that, that debut album. But they... It, they weren't popular, and you could tell. And as soon as they got a little bit of fame, and as soon as Fred Durst got a little bit of fame to himself, it they completely sold out, and it was over. And they even guys that they even like Corn, who helped put them on by by touring with them, distanced themselves. They were like, "Dude, what, what do you what do you guys <laughs> are doing? Is awful." Even Stained, who Fred Durst helped sign and get a record deal. And they shifted hugely from their debut into something else, it, it more more melodic, more, more song structure, more singer-songwriter kind of stuff. They even distanced themselves so much like Fred Durst. I remember him saying, I haven't heard from Aaron Lewis and Stained in a while. I hope those guys are okay. And I was like, dude, dude, stop. Just stop, just stop. And I know they're they're the bane of the existence, and they are the poster child of like the worst metal act of all time. But I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna tell you, I loved Limp Bizkit's debut album. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front and try to pretend have revisionist history here, dude, and be like, oh, I didn't like it. Nope, I loved it. I I did. I loved it. And then that next album came out, and I was like, oh no, oh no. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm like, I enjoyed their early you know, when I first heard them. Uh, They had, as the kids would call today, it was a banger. It it was not particularly complex or, you know, intellectually deep or anything like that. Oh, no. But it had a sound, it had a vibe, and it was super aggressive, and you could just rock out, and it was fun. And and there was a kind of a, almost a, uh, a, kind of a, a, rednecky kind of like joy to it. And it was like, all right. I, I get these guys. And then, yeah, as you mentioned later on, they they didn't age very Yeah, well. I mean, like
1: like three uh, like like the $3 bills y'all comes out in like 97 and no one pays attention to it. It doesn't finally break through until like late 98 and because of touring, right? It was it was that classic underdog thing of like we're going to put out a record no one's going to buy it but you know what we're just going to tour underground in jacksonville and in florida and then we're going to get picked up and we're going to be on the family values tour i think it was for corn and then all of a sudden people are going to start noticing us and what do they do what do they do they go right in and when they make significant other it's the same exact record as three dollar bills y'all it's, just, it's the same exact record just more polished and uh far more crappier <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and it, it as you uh pointed out they were kind of a one-trick pony and all they could do was you know the same thing they had done and you know gussy it up a little bit with this and that and it just yeah it kind of fell flat after the first that first one I mean I'm, I'm with you there I'm not gonna sit here and be like oh I didn't know. no I uh, that came on the radio I was cranking it up and I was popping my head too just like everybody else
1: I tell you a band who evolved and evolved quickly That came out, and uh, let's be honest, came out with a gimmick, one that I fell in love with. But and and that was Slipknot, and they came out, right, and they come out with a gimmick where they they have their basically Michael Meyer jumpsuit jumpsuits on, and their homemade mask, and it's just thrash, and it's all over the place, right? It it just is, and they have like twenty seven members, and they're all wearing masks, and you had clown. Uh, th- th- who who sat there and kept, like, a dead crow in a mason jar, and he would sniff it during the thing and throw up in his mass, and they had all these gimmicks, like guar yeah. stuff, right? So, like, you're like, oh, uh, but then you hear the first record, and you're like, I remember listening to the first record, and I was like, well, here's some angry dudes from Iowa. I'm interested. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is a nice start. What are they going to do with it? And then Iowa drops, and I was like, whoa. Like, it just just – Whoa! And then Volume Three comes out, and each one of those albums is completely different. the the way yep. it the way it sounds, the structure. You could tell that they the running joke was that they were learning how to play with the, play their instruments. They 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 hooked me with the gimmick, which I'm I'm all about a good gimmick. But they hooked me with the gimmick. But then I stayed a fan because of how they evolved musically from Iowa and then to Volume Three with a little bit more verses. And then obviously Corey goes out and creates Stone Sour, and that's an entire other thing, where you're like, wow, he can really sing. And they just progressed. I think a lot of people never got on board with them because of the gimmicky stuff early on, but I saw them play Ozfest, and I'll give you this Ozfest lineup. You're gonna you're gonna love this. I saw Ozfest in Dallas, Fort Worth at the I want to say the Con Ball. Or, no, no, it it wasn't the combo. It was was an an amphitheater over there. I forget the name of the amphitheater. But they had the second stage, you know, famously, Ozfest had the second stage in the parking lot. So it's just the dead, just dead heat, right? It's just nasty, dead heat, (laughs) just brutal, um, brutal show because you're just baking in the summer. And, of course, it's in the middle of summer and you're just like, ugh. But I saw them and they were the headliner for the second stage. One of the best shows I've ever seen. Like, absolutely yeah. one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I walked away from that, and I'm trying to remember what year that was. I think that was maybe – 19. I think that was 2004. It was 2004 because the 2004 was Ozzy Osbourne. Judas Priest was the co-main headliner. I reunited Judas Priest, and that they put on one of the top five shows I've ever seen in my life, regardless of genre, by the way. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Slayer – Zach Wild band, um, and then obviously Slipknot headlined the second stage. And I remember coming away from that going, wow. I think more people probably came on board with them after Corey went and created Stone Sour, which was his original band before Slipknot, and then they kind of reunited. But you know, Slipknot evolved, and yeah. they became more than just the gimmick, and they became legitimate musicians and one of the best metal bands of all time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they get lumped into that. What we were talking about earlier, the new metal scene um, with, uh, you know, Corn and Deftones and stuff. I don't really see them as being part of that. Um, I think they were just there and people didn't really know what else to do with them. So they put them in that category. Um, but they're, as you mentioned, they're musicians. Sorry, musicianship. Definitely evolved over the years. And uh, that's, I, it took me a while to warm up to them. But, uh, Soluminal Verses or Volume 3 or whatever you want to call that record was the one that really, I was like, okay. Yeah, I I kind of, to to,
1: to be fair, I kind of forced that down your throat, though. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. To to be fair, to be fair, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it rest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, really, that was the one where it's like, okay, yeah, I see what these guys are doing. They're legit. Like, they're their own thing. They're not out here, you know, trying to trying to be Mr. Pop Stars or whatever. They have their, their face masks and their gimmick. But uh, that's not, you know, that doesn't define them musically. And I, I think, you know, there's so many great songs on that uh, volume three album Vermillion is the one I think that for me I was like I heard Vermillion I was like okay <laughs> I like these guys
1: yeah that was um, that, that that definitely changed a lot of people and when you go back to Iowa My Plague um, People Equal Sh- Shit it was it was uh, people
0: were getting went biscuited again you know it's like <laughs> it's a little too similar and then now when you go back you can look at it and say okay yes it was different but in hindsight that's only
1: in hindsight. I tell you, the band, and we haven't talked about them yet and kind of doing them a disservice by not doing so, so we're going to do so now, is a band that I, I consider metal, uh, even though they have punk influences, and they came out, and they were like a comet, dude. They came out, and then they were gone. System of a down. They were the perfect band at the perfect time. Absolutely yeah. bananas listening to those guys play and toxicity man it's going to be hard pressed yeah. to find a more perfect album from that decade of the, fir- the first decade of the 2000s than that and it is just every they they, they challenge you with what you think a song structure should be yeah. A- yeah. and it's just beautiful too i mean it's a crazy thing to say you're like oh you're talking metal you got to be talking hard you can't say something's beautiful no you listen to toxicity it is an absolute beautiful record and they were just once again, they had their their time, right? The number one album in the country, like right around, like right on nine eleven, or right after nine eleven, was Toxicity, and they were the most popular band in the country. And yeah, they had that brief window, and then you know they 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 they, they disbanded. But just wow, like I, I don't think they've made a, a, a new record since two thousand four, two thousand five. So it's been well over a decade. But System of a Down, man, I never got to see them in, in person. I never got to see them live. I was going to go see them at OzFest one year, couldn't get the tickets or couldn't get off work or something like that, and I regret it because that would have been an absolute phenomenal show to see in person.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure it would have been. Um, and something we were talking about earlier um, with Faith No More is like that. Uh, System of a Down reminds me of that. It's like you mentioned uh, song structure. Um And these, like, jarring changes and, you know, they're they're doing their chorus or whatever and you think it's going to come at you a certain way and then it just takes a complete left turn. You're like, whoa, what are they doing? And it almost sounds like they took two different songs and just stuck them together. But once you, like, once you listen to it a few times and you get what they're doing, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is where it is. And I always always like their kind of wacky, like, uh, unpredictableness, I guess, would have been would be the word I'm looking for, um, and that's kind of I've mentioned Faith No More and Mr. Bungle earlier, and that's kind of that's a lot of my uh, uh, my background, or like the kind of thing I tend to enjoy the most is those kind of things that are just so off the wall that it takes you know a year of listening to an album a couple times a week before you kind of finally can digest it all and uh things with staying power so that's what i enjoyed about
1: that band all right i'm going to give you the microphone brother there's a band that i try to get into and i always like and respect it but you absolutely love and those are the fellows from georgia oh
0: we're going to talk about mastodon
1: now well of course i don't
0: know i mean what can i say about mastodon like i don't even know i don't even know where to start they're in trouble. like if you have not heard mastodon somehow go go buy mastodon records just go buy one and listen to it like and if you don't like it you're crazy like those guys are phenomenal I, I don't even know what to say about that band they're so good they they to me are the led zeppelin of their generation um and you know a lot of people talk about Led Zeppelin and how each album is different from the last. You know, they went from kind of blues and psychedelic stuff to like hard rock and folk and they had like touches of Middle Eastern music and they just they were all over the map and they just evolved over time. And to me that's what Mastodon has done. They started as just like a you know, sludge then they threw away the progressive tendencies and were like, we're just going to make kind of psychedelic sounding music and then they've kind of gone back to doing concept albums and stuff like that. Their career path is just wacky but it's... All of their stuff is amazing. Go buy a Mastodon record, please. Thank you later. (laughs) I
1: I love that. I love that. And that's the thing about the genre itself. It's... It's so, all, it's so all over the place, right? You, you, there's so many different bands and how you approach it and what really appeals to you. I mean, I remember once, I don't know if you remember this, I got into this band called Bloody Panda. It was from Japan, and they were like what they call funeral march metal or funeral metal. And the, the LP that I had was only four songs. That was it. But I was like, this is awesome. And I can't tell you why it just appealed to me. I mean, I think the name probably got me, and I was like, I'll check this out. And that was back in the day before you really downloaded. I mean, you could download them, but I would go, you know this, I would go to the store and just be like, I'm buying this. I want to check it out. Nope. I've never watched this movie. or I've never listened to this record, but I'm just going to try it out and see what goes. And, you know, you kind of just, you go down that road, so to speak, kind of go down that path, and you're just like, oh, okay, this is awesome. This is awesome. Let's. Uh, honest question. We're, we're, uh, you know what? I'm going to pause that. We're going to get to that honest question here in a minute. How many metal shows have you seen in person? Who have you seen in person? Cause I know we tried to go to a Macedon show. What was that last year? And we couldn't make it happen. So how many metal acts have you seen in person?
0: Not that many. Uh, I saw between the Buried and me, uh, which we have not discussed, but it's one of my favorite bands of all times. Um, I saw Between the Buried of Me. I've seen um, The Sword. Got some Austin, Texas, who are incredible. Um, Pelican, which is a instrumental outfit from uh, Chicago. Um, and I, that's about it, honestly. I don't get out much uh, <laughs> in, in terms of doing stuff like that. Uh, you know, I just. I always want to, you know, I've, I've wanted to see Metallica for the longest time, and it just hasn't panned out for one one reason or another. Um, the only other thing I could think of that would kind of is uh, I went to, uh, this was wild, it was like 95, uh, Rage Against the Machine, a double bill with Smashing Pumpkins. And that was like, that was the scene there. People didn't. Maybe really understand what Rage Against the Machine was. They were there to see Smashing Pumpkins and then Rage Against the Machine shows up and they're like throwing stuff and beating their ants up and people are like, oh my god, what is this? They're anti-government. Oh my god. Like the teeny boppers were leaving in floods to the exits. It was great. <laughs> I love that. That was such a weird experience.
1: Yeah, I've seen um, not as many metal shows as I'd like. It's always one of those things where I've always wanted to see someone and couldn't get tickets, or uh, we had a bad run of a lot of metal acts not coming to New Orleans, which was you know, closest for us, right, here in Louisiana, and we'd always have to go to Houston or Dallas. So, I mean, I saw OzFest that year um, with uh, you know Ozzy, Zach Wild, Judas Priest, and Slipknot, I saw Corn in Disturbed. Disturbed opened up for Corn. Saw them at the, you know, Lakefront Arena. Um, Corn did not put on a good show. Disturbed put on one of the best metal shows I've ever seen. Like, they they were that band where you hear them on the record, and you're like, okay, and then you see them in person, and you're like, yeah, they're even better than they are on the record. Like, and they sound like the song does. Like, I remember watching Corn and the way my seat was, because I got, like, a media seat, a media credential seat, was kind of off the off the stage, so I could see behind uh, backstage. And like Jonathan Davis had to have like an oxygen tank in between songs. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's not a great like you know you got to take better care of yourself, my man. And Disturbed came out, and they just were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've seen a, a couple others. I saw not not necessarily metal. I saw an interesting <laughs> interesting concert in Pensacola when I lived in Mobile. And I got tickets for the, it was the TK-101 X-Fest. And it was like, Collective Soul, Fuel, Days of the New, and then like Godsmack. Godsmack was on there. Mm. And I was like, oh, that was cool. And they were good. And Collective Soul was actually really good in concert, too. I was like, wow. they have seen re- them, too. Right. They're really good. I was like, wow, okay. Um, but the, the I biggest. Collective
0: Soul play with Van Halen. No. Nice. On the ballot, two or nine, five, that 95. That would have been 95. blew them off the stage, yeah. Yeah, but there you go. just blew Van Halen off the stage. Van Hagar. Van
1: I also Hagar, saw... Call them. Um, yes, Van Hagar, as we lovingly call them, as Joe Dirk calls them as well. So I saw Stained, Kid Rock, and Limp Biscuit at the Biloxi Gulf Coast Coliseum. The AC went out in there. People had were, were dehydrated oh. left and right, and my poor cousin... God bless him, who had no idea about Limp Bizkit or anything like he's like, you know, listening to Jack Johnson and wears khakis and he's wearing a a buttoned up like polo shirt to this concert I was like, dude, what are you wearing? Like at this time, I have my long hair. I have my like my Steven Seagal hair at this time. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he ends up. I actually had a mom ask me to protect her 12 year old son in the mosh pit. And I was like, first of all, why are you bringing your son to this concert? Second of all, why do you have floor seats? (laughs) But I protected him because I'm the big 300 pound guy at the, by the pit, and then my cousin goes and he's like, I got to he had a head of pager. He worked. He was on call. He's like, I, I gotta go take this call. And I was like, okay. And I didn't see him for like the rest of the concert until like 25 minutes afterwards. And he 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 mouthed off to the wrong person on the way to the payphone and got punched in the nose and broke his nose. <laughs> but I tell you, like the biggest disappointment that I ever had, and I, I need to see them again. So, you know, my buddy Sean from um, uh, one, of my, one of my other best friends from Illinois. So he diehard Metallica fan and he had already seen them live. Um, we were living up there in Illinois and we go see them play in an amphitheater outside of St. Louis. And it was like on the load reload tour era. They were awful. It was one of the worst concerts I've ever been to in my entire <laughs> life. It was Jerry Cantrell; he was the opening act because that's Allison Chains had disbanded. This was before, oh yeah, okay. um, they just disbanded. And Days of the New, who I can't escape apparently. And then it was Metallica. So <laughs> Days like, of the New was
0: just one dude, if I remember right. Yeah, it was just one.
1: Was like one dude. It was like a Santana situation. So or yeah. so, and they come out there and they don't play anything. Like they. I pulled up the, the 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 set list not that long ago to look at it and I was like this is awful and they they played some acoustic stuff and it was right around like Garage Inc era that they were doing all this and and it was towards the tail end of the tour so they they were tired they were lifeless and I was like and this was like ninety seven ninety eight and I'm I paid like thirty five bucks for the ticket and that's a lot back then. And I was like, come on, are you kidding me with this? I finally get to see Metallica, and this is the garbage that you're bringing to the table? And my buddy, Sean, he was like, that was one of the worst shows I've ever seen. He says, that's the exact opposite than what I saw them do two years ago. And, like, they didn't they they, they, they did play, like, great stuff from, like, Ride the Lightning or Kill 'Em All or, you know. And no, no, no none of that. Master of Puppets, no. <laughs> they, they, they didn't even play the popular stuff off the Black Album. It was, like, all this other stuff. And I'm like, this was, I want to say we even left early. Like, like during the encore, we're like, we're going. We're heading to the car. Like, I'm done with this.
0: Ah, oh.
1: So, yeah. I, I've always wanted yeah. to see Metallica again because I work with a guy here at the studio, and he he's seen them, like, 37 times. He goes and sees them wow. in, like, San Francisco and New York, and he sees them all in these other different places and absolutely loves watching them. Uh, question, before we get to our favorite albums. Now that we're in our 40s and we have kids and... We're picking up, you know. We're taking our kids to school, and you know, you you have the sports that they're into and the arts. And my daughter's in dancing, and we're we're settled down now. Are we too old to be headbangers? Are we too old to be listening to metal all the time?
0: Hmm, probably. I'm not going to let that stop me, but yeah, sometimes I feel like, yeah, what are you doing with your life? You're listening to, you know, in the school pickup line waiting for the kid listening to like. August burns red or something it's like the people are looking at me if it's this the radio is way too loud. People are just like, What is this guy doing? Yeah, well, that's me. <laughs> like, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, am I gonna be sitting here when I'm eighty or whatever and, you know, listening to Mastodon and Oh yeah, he's listening to the oldies <laughs> Like like is that is that gonna be what? Like you know <laughs> that's such a weird thing to think about. It
1: is it it it's, is weird, it and, and, my mind sometimes. and 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 now we're in our forties. Are, are we too old to go to metal concerts? I guess that would be the next uh, definitely, question. Definitely, we're uh, too old for that. Definitely, day, right? that the windows yeah, closed for us.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't want to be down in some mosh pit with getting beat up by a bunch of kids. Uh, no, no way. <laughs> now I have been to a couple of concerts, and you got to you know you got to pick your places. Um, I mentioned a, a band that I really like uh, a little while ago called Pelican. And, I mean, they're instrumental, and there's no, like, Boston. So you can just kind of sit there and chill and, you know, vibe out. Yeah, stuff like that, I'm cool with going to, but, no, I'm not, I'm not going to see Slipknot live. No, no way.
1: <laughs> what about Metallica? You never got I'm to see long. them live. Would you go to a Metallica concert?
0: To. I would love to. Um,
1: we tried to do that in I mean, Nashville, too, didn't we, like a year ago?
0: Yeah, and we, we never could, could get it. That. We can never Some get it together. It fell apart. They were in Indianapolis too. Yeah, and I was like, I'm going to that, and like tickets sold out in two minutes, and the tickets were two hundred dollars each. Yeah, pretty, see, you know,
1: that's the other part of it, right? When you're younger, I don't mind dropping. I didn't mind dropping like thirty or forty five bucks back then, which would have been like a hundred bucks today, right? So yeah. I, I wouldn't mind to do that because I didn't have any of the responsibilities. But like now, I'm like, you know, oh. We're, we're going to, you know, my wife's like, hey, look into tickets for this. And I'll look into tickets. And I was like, those tickets are $200. I'm not paying $200 to go see someone live in person. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I just, my priorities are different, I guess, would be the best way to describe that. Yeah, yeah. That's such a grown-up thing to say. I kind of want to punch myself for saying it.
0: Yeah, it's sad. I'm getting the same way about fourth, too. It's just like, why would I go to an NFL game? <laughs> When I can sit, I have a sixty-inch TV in the living room. I don't have to leave home. <laughs> yep, you <know laughs> I don't you're not wrong. To deal with all these people. <laughs> you know,
1: it's, just it's just ridiculous. I it's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: I'm. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm just too old, man.
1: You're just too old, brother. You, we, we, we're just too over old. Over the hill. All right, now over the hill. Did you do your homework? Did you put up? Did you put together a list of your favorite albums?
0: Well, uh, here's the thing. A list of my favorite albums might be Mastodon and four albums you've never
1: heard of, but yeah, we can go there. Can you do a top ten, or am I putting you on the spot there?
0: Oh, let's see. I mean, do you want to do this in in a particular
1: order? No, they do do not have to be ranked. It does not have to be one to ten or anything like that, one being your, your favorite or whatever. Just give... The listeners, your top ten favorite metal albums to listen to as it stands right now here in 2020.
0: Oh, you're talking about right now. Okay. Uh, Master of Puppets. There we go. Metallica, Master Puppets. Always. Heavy rotation.
1: Always, yes. I have
0: uh, four different vinyl copies of that. I play that often. Um She'll Switch Engage's last album was called Atonement. I think that came out last year. Um, those guys are amazing. Uh, And we haven't talked about them. Yeah, we did not talk about them.
1: Shame on us. I Um, knew you. Yeah, those were one of your favorites.
0: Um, All their stuff is great. I've been listening to their last album a lot, Atonement. Go get that album. It's incredible. Um, There's a song on it called... Hang on, I got the album cover right here. There's a song on it called The Signal Fire. Go on YouTube and type in Kill Switch Engage The Signal Fire and watch that video. It is... As the title suggests, it is fire. It's incredible. Just, that's a great song. Um, what else? Um, a band I mentioned earlier, Between the Buried and Me, who are uh, kind of a ultra-proggy uh, concept album uh, kind of band. Uh, they did an album called Colors, uh, 2007, 2008 maybe. Um, I've never stopped listening to that since the day I bought it oh that's three um, Mastodon um, crack the sky would probably be their masterpiece to me
1: that is quite Mastodon. a good that, that, that's that, that is quite a, a great record by the way
0: progressive um, just takes you on a journey uh really really it's a concept album about. Uh, this guy who who dies and re- meets Rasputin in the afterlife and is reincarnating. His sister dies, and it's he's a spaceman. It's everywhere, and the story makes no sense at all. But it's a, it's incredible to listen to. It just it takes you on a journey. It's beautiful. Um, where else are we? August Burns Red, which is a band that I probably probably come to really appreciate the last five years. Um, they came out around I don't know, 2006 maybe, um, but I, I never really got them until the last five years. They have an album called Phantom Anthem, which came out a few years ago, 2017 maybe. That's a really good one. Uh, where are we? Is that five?
1: I mean, this is your list, man.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um... The Red Tour, really heavy stuff. Um, Grindcore. Uh, again, we could talk about subgenres and microgenres all day. Uh, really aggressive, kind of punk, like two-minute songs, and just goes like full tilt from start to finish. Great album. That's the Teeth Machine by the Red cores um, ISIS, not the terrorist group, <laughs> the band, I think uh, they've had a lot of problems with that. Um, they actually disbanded several years ago, but they put out an album called Panopticon. Um, hard to describe what ISIS does. They call them post-metal, but they're uh, largely instrumental and just really, uh, really heavy, dense. And at the same time, kind of a zen sound. Um, You can chill out to it, but it's also just like crushing guitars and uh, bass and just a big wall of sound. Um, The Sword, I mentioned them earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, They put an album called Warp Riders, um, 2010 maybe. That's a really good... uh, Really good album from a really good band. Kind of a concept thing. Um, I don't know how to exactly describe Swords. They're, they're more or less a throwback to like Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and stuff like that, but with some modern touches. Um, what else? I'm sitting here looking at my uh, CD shelf. I like to listen to CDs.
1: So do we're I. Those
0: people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, we we are those people. Uh, so the uh, Metalocalypse soundtrack is not in your top ten. Um, I'm I'm a little disappointed by that. One of the greatest fake metal bands ever created.
0: Oh, Death Clock, yeah.
1: Oh, dude. <laughs> Love Metalocalypse, by the way. It's brilliant. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was an interesting little thing they had going there for a while. It was. Uh, Something that I was thinking about a few minutes ago was uh, we went to, you and me went to see, and another friend, I think, went to see uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. The movie. Movie, yeah. Yes. And that that song at the beginning of that movie, where it's like, uh, do not, uh, it's it's basically going over all the rules in the movie theater, like, don't talk to,
1: don't talk
0: during the movie. So that was Mastodon. Yes, the song is called Cut You Up with a Linoleum Knife. Don't YouTube that. It's amazing.
1: Oh, it was amazing. Aqua Team Hunger Force had... was, was also always amazing. Uh, shout out to Glenn Danzig for popping up on uh, that show all the time as himself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the Death Clock shout out made me think of that. Cause it was all kind of that same. Same era, That same vibe.
1: Yeah, Adult Swim was, was amazing. wacky
0: and off the wall. Those dudes have an incredible sense of humor. Um, one more album. Dillinger Escape Plan. Ooh. Dillinger Escape Plan, Calculating Infinity. Now, that's something that's pretty out there for a lot of people, but just, you know, Google that, YouTube it, give it a listen. There we go. If you don't like it, put it down. (laughs) A lot of people won't like it, but it's one of those things that grows on you, and I've been listening to that album for at least 10 years, and, uh, I hear something new in it every time. So that's a good one to check out if you haven't already.
1: I like your list. I like your list a lot. And I like the fact that you got some avant-garde stuff on your list in bands that people are not familiar with, which I like and I appreciate. And that's why you're talking with me on the podcast today, brother. My list is not nearly as avant-garde, so but it is my list.
0: Well, you know, you asked me what I'm listening to right now, so I kind of went that direction. There are other things.
1: So, when, when, when I picked my list, I picked the ones that I listen to still today. So, just in, in, and, and sometimes you just connect with something on an emotional level and it just is. Mm-hmm. Look, the, 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 the holy grail, the, the, the greatest metal album of all time is Master of Puppets. So, that has to be on there. And I, I, I tend to listen to that on a regular basis. It is perfection from start to finish, plain and simple. Anyone that says otherwise, uh, no argument. No, no argument. And if you do argue, um, go ahead, and uh, me and Mike will meet you up, and we'll give you a good old fashioned pummeling. So, oh, yeah. master of puppets, obviously. And then I'm going to go with a, a, a lot more. I'm going to go with some 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 '90s stuff, and then some early 2000s stuff. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, obviously, the uh, self titled debut in '92, uh, is absolutely uh, phenomenal. I'm also going to go with Pantera. Vulgar Display of Power, also 1992. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. Just so, so. Walk. Just walk alone. Um, (laughs) Just so, just, it's just like, like, it's it's one of those songs where you heard it and you're like, damn it, I wish I would have thought of that. Why didn't I? I'm stupid. Um, And then you you listen to it over and over again. Um, I'm going to go also with. Metallica's 90, uh, 1991 the, the self-titled album, the, known as the Black Album. I know it's a little bit more commercial, but I find myself even 30 years later still listening to it and still wanting to listen to it. So that's kind of how great bass. songs on that album. No so, question. so many great songs. Also, I went with Korn, Follow the Leader. That would have been 98, I do believe. Uh, that is my favorite Korn album. A little bit more than their self-titled uh, debut album, which is really good as well. I also went... Around that same era, Slipknots Iowa, that makes my list. Also, went, Iowa over Volume 3, huh? Oh, no. Well, I, see, I cheated. I have both of them. I went uh, with Slipknot okay. Iowa and I went with Slipknots Volume 3, the uh, Sublim verses. So both of those make my list. And then I also have System of a Down Toxicity. I talked about it, mm-hmm. we raved about it as well. And, um, then I went with basically pick any tool album and that can be one on the list as well. So I I tried, I went back and forth and I literally lost sleep trying to figure out which one I wanted to put on there. And so I just said, pick whatever one you want. And then my last one of my favorite 10, and this is an album that I recently read an oral history of, and man, it's so good. And it went against the grain. It went against what their record company wanted them to do. It went against the genre of new metal that they were lumped into being, and that was Deftones, and that's White Pony. And oh yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's just, it's so I don't know. It just stands above so many other things. Passenger, uh, Change in the House of Flies, Knife Party, Chino's voice on it is just. Amazing! It, it it's just phenomenal, on the way they structure it, and you can tell that they were given the liberty to make the record that they wanted to. The record company tried to get them with Rick Rubin, and Rick Rubin didn't understand what they wanted to do, so they didn't collaborate, and they ended up making this just phenomenal record from start to finish. the The first version of White Pony, not the deluxe edition, where they forced them to uh, add uh, some songs on there. The record company do, but White Pony is absolutely top of the list, brother. It is just, it's one of my favorites, so it made my top ten.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I have an appreciation for that band. I I haven't gotten into them as much as I probably should have, but you've inspired me. I'm going to go listen to that.
1: There you go, and that's and and look. If anything, I'm going
0: to put down my phone when we're done with this. I'm going to listen to that album. This is what I'm going to do
1: today. I believe I'm going to go listen to this album as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you, brother. It's been too long. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person. Yeah, you know, is. you do live in the Hoosier State now in Indiana, but I appreciate yeah. you carving out the time, man, and us talking just all things metal today, brother. Thank you.
0: Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I was glad to do it, and I'm happy to do it again anytime you want.
1: There we go. And as the man said, if you're listening, you heard any of these bands, you wrote wrote them down, go check them out. Do yourself a service. If you love metal music, music. go buy some music. Come on. (laughs) Buy some music. Download some music. Actually, go buy a CD or or, or go buy some vinyl. doesn't matter. Just go buy it. And we also decided at the end of the day that uh, once you get to a certain age that we are, we are too old and cheap to go buy premium concert tickets And uh, we're a little too old to be diehard headbangers anymore, even though we still do so, uh, well, essentially every day. So, there there you go. (laughs) Brother, thank you for coming on, man. Got nothing but love for you. Thank you, bud.
0: Same thing. You take care of yourself.
1: That is one of my best friends. Great guy. Mike Doyle lover of heavy metal, lover of avant-garde heavy metal, as you heard his list and the bands that he really connected with. I appreciate him stopping by on this episode of the Rap Game Podcast as we made it all about headbanging and heavy metal music. Hope you enjoyed it. New episode will be dropping within a week. Until then, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. I'm out.